Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. We're praying that you grow spiritually this morning as we get into God's Word. And I'm going to ask you uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, either your hard copy uh, of your Bible or your digital copy on your iPad or smartphone, uh, turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians is a little book in the New Testament way, way, way back over, almost to the end of the Bible, page 995 in my Bible. I don't know if that helps you, but way, way, way over there, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Uh, we're, we're starting our year with a series to help believers grow in their faith. Uh, we have many of you here who are not yet believers, and you know our church exists largely for you to check out the claims of Christ. Uh, but this will give you who are not yet believers an opportunity to peek over into the backyard of the family of God and see a little bit more about what life in Christ would be like for you when you come to faith in Christ. So, uh, but for those of you who are believers, this, this series is to help you grow. Uh, we're these four weeks in January. We're calling it Working for the Good of All. It's based on Galatians chapter 6, verse, um, verse 10, that says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Last week, we talked about working for the good of God. Today, we're going to talk about working for your very own good. Next week, uh, we're going to talk about what it looks like to work for the good of, of sinful people and suffering people. And then the final week of January, uh, what it looks like to work for the good of all. We'll be zooming into Galatians chapter 6 next week. In fact, on your note sheet, on your bulletin, you'll see I've given you some homework uh, if you would, I'd encourage you to go ahead and take the passage for next week, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. And I'd like for you to, in your daily time alone with Christ, like we learned in our 40 Days in the Word campaign, I'd like for you to meditate on this passage all week using the six methods of Bible meditation we learned in our 40 Days in the Word uh, campaign. Now, here's, what, here's what's going to be amazing. If you'll do this, you're going to be shocked at how much better the preaching is next week. So be sure to uh, jump in there. We're, we're still early enough in the year to be thinking about New Year's resolutions. And we don't take them very seriously, uh, do we? I mean, we joke about this because we tend not to keep them. I, I came across a, a journal entry from a, a, a fella. Uh, who was having a little bit of difficulty, obviously, keeping his resolutions. I wanted to read a, a couple for you. Uh, we find in his journal several years, like one of them was um, about his money. He had resolution number two. In 2001, here was his resolution. I will not spend my money frivolously. 2002, I will pay off my bank loan promptly. 2003, I'll pay off my bank loans promptly. 2004, I'll begin making a strong effort to be out of debt by 2005. 2005, he said, I'll try to pay off my debt interest by 2006. In 2006, he wrote, I'll try to be out of the country by 2007. <laughs> 
A little bit of difficulty. Uh, here was another one. He said, uh, this was about his marriage. 2003, he put in his journal, I will try to be a better husband to Marge. 2004, I will not leave Marge. 2005, I'll try for reconciliation with Marge. 2006, I'll try to be a better husband to Wanda. So, uh, yeah, having a little bit of, <laughs> a little bit of difficulty uh, there. You know, what are some things, what would you like to change most about you? You know, if you could work for your own good in 2014, what would you like to change the most? I mean, sometimes we think about the physical appearance, our, you know, our, our, our weight, our nose, our, you know, our, our clothing, our external uh, appearance. But many of us need to change things much deeper than that. We, we need to change our heart Get rid of our bitterness, get rid of our pride, get rid of our jealousy, get rid of our envy, get rid of our lust, uh, get rid of some hang-ups and, and, uh, and hurts and uh, habits that are not, not good for us. But, but many, it's easy to give up on real change, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to give up hope that we might actually realize significant change for the better in any area of our life. And it's because we've it's easy to get that way because we've had difficulty changing in, in the past. Well, as I thought about these things this week, I was reminded of the passage of Scripture that, that uh, you've just turned to in the book of Colossians. Let me read this. This is inspired by God, uh, by uh, the Holy Spirit, to the Apostle Paul, written to a group of everyday people in the little town of Colossae, all new believers in a brand new church, the only church in town. Here's what he wrote. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let your minds, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Pray with me. So, Lord, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word. Once again, we pray, open our hearts that we may uh, understand the scriptures, unlock our Spirits, that we may respond to you in obedience and joy, joyful obedience and faith as a result. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Let me sum it up this way. You can work for your good in 2014 if you will, you can best do this if you will, if you will develop an eternal perspective rather than a here and now only perspective. If you will set your mind on spiritual things, on the things of Christ, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, things above, the Scriptures say, if you will set your heart, set your mind, set your goal, set your focus on the pursuit of Christ and life in Christ above all things, rather than a here and now only. Some of you might be thinking right now, oh gosh, here we go, it's one of these pie in the sky, by and by, sermons. How many of you ever heard somebody say about another, they were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good? You ever heard that? It's, that's a myth. 
Do you know the people who've been a general, as a general rule, in the history of mankind across the last 2,000 years, the people who have been the most earthly good are those who are heavenly minded. You read the history books. Mother Teresa, founder of the Salvation Army. You go to most, most of the first hospitals in every culture on the planet were started by people who were heavenly minded. And because they were heavenly minded, they became incredibly earthly good. That's a myth. You can't be too heavenly minded. You can be too earthly minded. You can be so earthly minded, you're no good to earth or heaven. He said, Paul said, be heavenly minded, not earthly minded only. That's the, if you want to work for your good, get after Christ and the things of Christ. I'm talking to believers, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. If you want to be earthly good, you want to be some good to your family, you want to be some good to your organization, you want to be some good to your community, to your nation, to your world, then get spiritually minded. Get spiritually minded. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote these things, very same things to these first group of believers in this little church, in this little town called Colossae. I'm not even sure somebody might help me with my biblical backgrounds here. I'm not even sure this little town exists any longer. Can't remember. But uh, he wrote to them and he said, since you have been given life now, And in eternity with Christ, set your heart, set your mind on things above, not things that are on the earth. And then he told them why they could. So let me go to this. I want to tell you why you can and should set your hearts on spiritual things. Do we have any C.S. Lewis fans in here? Yeah, I got a few. How many of you have read read any of his books? How many of you read Mere Christianity? Yeah, good. Read that one. How many of you read his little book, Miracles? Yeah, incredible, incredible um, uh, book. How many of you, you may know him best by his books that he wrote for his nieces and nephews called The Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you know Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, there we go. How many of you saw the movie a couple of years back, uh, Narnia, the latest one? Okay. In the movie Narnia, Based on his little book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure in the story, speaks to the children in that story, and he tells them, he speaks of, here we go, here's how Lewis said it, the emperor's deep magic written before the foundation of the world. The emperor's deep magic from the dawn of time and the emperor's deeper magic from the from before the dawn of time and he said to them this magic would be able to save guilty sons of adam able to raise aslan from the dead and able to restore and redeem narnia and put it back in its pristine condition um, uh, that had been that had been lost now lewis lewis is Deeper and deeper magic of the emperor are are metaphors that he used for the gospel. 
For the gospel of God, the mystery of God that he wrote before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, that he, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, arranged before creation, before the dawn of time, a way for you and me, moral and spiritual foul-ups, and all of humanity to be redeemed and all of creation to be redeemed. Lewis, in his children's stories, called it the emperor's deep and deeper magic. Well, the Apostle Paul begins to describe it here. Now, the Scriptures usually speak of mysteries. Now, a biblical definition of a mystery is a spiritual reality that we would not know had God not revealed it to us. We, we, couldn't, we can't fully comprehend the gospel, but what we do comprehend, we would not know if God had not revealed it to us. And that's what he is revealing to us here. This passage describes just a little bit of God the Father's mystery written before the dawn of time. He determined before the dawn of time that Christ would come to earth in the form of a man, be crucified for our sins, be buried uh, for three days, after three days rise from the dead, be exalted, ascended to be seated at the right hand of God the Father where he remains today, and one day he will return in glory, Colossians 3, 4 tells us. Somehow, through this work of Christ, God arranged and made it possible for guilty, sinful people like you and me to place our faith in Jesus Christ, God the Son. And he arranged that every man, woman, boy, and girl who would do so, who would believe in, put their trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus and would commit therefore control of their lives and eternities to him, turn from their sin, put their hope in him alone to be cleansed and forgiven from sin and be reconciled to God. Everyone who placed their faith in him, he arranged for them to be rescued from the penalty of sin, to be reconciled to God, to be redeemed, purchased back from slavery to sin, and, uh, and one day to be set free from the very presence of sin in eternity. I mean, there's great mystery in this deep magic of God the Father. But he somehow decreed, made it possible that when everyday people just like you and me uh, would receive Jesus, that uh, some interesting things would happen to us, and he describes it in this passage. Now, I'm going to ask you to work a little harder than I usually do on Sunday mornings. So I want you to take a deep breath, sit up, focus, get engaged mentally, get engaged uh, physically. If you need to stand up and walk around, if you, whatever you need to do, I mean, get focused because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna drill down into this gospel a little deeper here. Because the more you understand and comprehend what God's already done for you in Christ, the, the easier it is for you to set your mind on the things of Christ practically. Day by day. So here's what he said happened to you and me when we placed our faith in Christ. Ready? Look at verse number 3. He says, you died. What do you mean by that? Here we are all living. You died. Somehow, God arranged that when we received Christ, we also died to sin. To the, uh, sin is personified in the scriptures. He said, we died to the reign and rule, uh, the realm of sin. We died to the realm of sin and its power over us. The Bible describes this death as a very real yet non-physical death. 
Death to the power of sin over our it no longer rules over us. He, the theologians write it this way. They say, when, when, when Christ died and we put our faith in him, he made, you, he made you able not to sin. He made you able not to sin. He broke the power of sin over your life and my life. See, he, he not only died for us as our substitute and paid the penalty for us, but... We died with him. He was our representative, not only our substitute, but our representative. Died to the power of sin, the reign and rule of sin over our lives. It means that we now have the possibility of winning over temptation. Magnificent thing. Uh, now, when you understand that, it begins to give you some hope and some joy, and you find yourself naturally focusing on spiritual things. He also goes on to say this in verse 1. Not only did we die, he says, you have been raised with Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, in God's deep magic from before the foundation of the world came into being, he arranged that believers would have Christ's resurrection life applied to them. This simply means he gives us life, eternal life, abundant life, overflowing life. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, if you put it in reverse and turn to the left in the book of Colossians and to chapter 2 and look at verse 12, it says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Let me give you an illustration. In, in the Gospels, we find the story of a man named Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of the Lord Jesus when Jesus was on earth in his earthly ministry. Uh, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus got sick and he died. Uh, his sisters had sent for Jesus to come, uh, but Jesus arrived days after Lazarus had died and was, was buried. So Jesus went to the tomb. Now, what did Lazarus need? Did he need a list of rules and regulations now to help him live? No, we could have given him all the rules and regulations uh, in the world, and he's still just going to be dead. Did he, need a, did he need some New Year's resolutions to improve his circumstances? No. Now, what he needed was life, right? He's dead. He needed life. What did Jesus give him? Life. He, he went to the tomb and called Lazarus back from the dead. He resuscitated him. He, he, he gave him life. Now, what is this life? Well, the Scriptures say it is Jesus himself. Now, are you with me? Keep working. Here we go. Here's more of this deeper mystery of God written before the dawn of time. In verse 4, it says that Christ is your life. Look at it. The Messiah is your life. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. This is part of what Paul meant when he wrote in the Scriptures there. For me, living is Christ. Christ is our life. Uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Spirit inspired Paul to write these words, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, 
says that the glorious riches of this mystery, this deep magic of God, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, Christ in you is your life. He is your life. You died with him. You were raised with him. He gave you a new life. And just eternal life, new life, different life, overflowing life. The, his very life in our, in our bodies. It is Jesus himself. I, I can't say it any more plainly than the Apostle John did in the little book, 1 John. Take a look on the screen. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. Is that it? Yeah. Read this out loud with me in good voice. Ready? Here we go. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. You have something, but you don't have life by God's definition. The one who has the Son has life. He, Christ is our life, fullness of life, abundant life, eternal life. So how can this be? I mean, how can something like this be so? Now, usually at this point, I'll say, what? I don't know. And I don't know exactly how. But I know generally how. God the Father arranged it to be so. That's how. He arranged it to be so. And if you understand this, the better you understand it, the more motivated and enabled you will be to set your mind, your hearts, your goal, your dreams, your focus on Christ and the things of Christ, to be spiritually minded. And then you'll be some earthly good. It's the very best thing you can do for yourself In 2014, develop an eternal perspective on life. That's not all. Look at verse 3. You died, you were raised, and verse 3 also says, and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. Hidden with the Messiah in God. Well, hidden means, this word hidden is is a, a word in the Greek language that means to hide something for a particular purpose. It means to hide for the purpose of safekeeping. To hide for the purpose of safekeeping. This means that God has arranged in his gospel, in this mystery uh, that he founded before the foundation of the world for you to have secure, sufficient resources for this life. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It is secure. I have some documents that are important to me. And one day I went to my bank and I requested to get to my safe deposit box. Uh, we went into the vault. They opened the vault door. We went into the vault. We unlocked the, the, the box with two separate keys, pulled the little box out, opened it up, inserted the documents, closed the box, put it back in its slot, locked the door, stepped out, locked the vault door, and at 5 p.m. that day locked the bank door. My documents have triple security. And so is your life in Christ secure. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, what that means, if you go to um, the second chapter of Colossians and the third verse, you see that it says, Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, I want you to put these two truths together. If in Jesus Christ are hid all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and if we are with Christ in God, that means you and I are where the treasures are. What kind of treasures? It means we have hidden, secure resources for this life. 
We have what we need, knowledge and wisdom and power to face whatever circumstances come in this life. Now, for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, this be no surprise to you. Uh, it's not always easy to know who all the Christians are, is it? It's not. It's not. Because this life of Christ is partially hidden in our lives, in our, in our bodies. Another reason it's difficult is because Christians experience all, most of the things of normal life that non-Christians do. We, we have troubles with our kids. We suffer with diseases. We experience death and tragedies. But the difference is this. You'll notice if you watch Christians, you'll find that when these tragedies come, they are not crushed. They do not cave in when these difficulties come. They seem to handle them with grace and power and strength and sometimes even joy. Wow. We sang it earlier. Your love never fails. That's what we were singing about. We quoted uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Not all things are good, but they work for the good. They turn us into Christ, uh, the image of Christ. And um, God defines good differently from you and me. We define good as something that feels good and brings us no pain. Uh, God defines good as anything in our life that makes us more like Jesus. And sometimes that's suffering. But when Christians suffer, they tend to do so not caving in, but with strength and sometimes joy because they have an eternal perspective. It helps you live life better here in the daily realities because you understand eternity. Billy and Gail Lassiter have been members of our church for over 20 years. Billy's in, uh, and they've always served in the worship ministry on the tech team. They are camera operators, the both of them. Many of you know Billy, and he's got this deep, rich, resonant voice. He has a haircut like mine. And uh, Billy's father died this week, Mr. Lassiter, who was a brother in Christ, a member at the First Baptist Church of Peachtree City. His funeral's Wednesday morning. Be sure you come and mourn with those who mourn. Uh, but I, I got the word, it was Thursday or Friday afternoon, I think it was Thursday afternoon when Mr. Lassiter died. I got the call, I, I turned around and I called Billy. How many of you have lost a parent in death? Okay, you know the feelings. I called Billy and he answered the phone. He has my number, so he said, Pastor Keith, hey. And I said, Billy, I just learned of your father's death. I am saddened and I am so sorry. And he said, well, Pastor Keith, he said, Dad lived a long, full life loving Jesus in the Lord, a great relationship with us, and now he's gone to be with the Lord in heaven. And uh, it won't be too long. We'll see him again. I'm going... He's comforting me. He's comforting me. Where'd that come from? His life is hid with Christ in God where all the treasures are, where all the resources are for security in Christ. I I don't want to live life any other way. I want some resources. And you can have those in Christ. That happened to you when you came to faith in Christ. Now, since this life in Christ is a spiritual fact, 
It also is to be a practical force in daily living. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, since you have this life in Christ, set your hearts, set uh, your hearts on what is above. He says in verse 1, seek what is above. Where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on what is above, not what is on the earth. I mean, these verses speak of of, uh, intentionality. Set your sights on, pursue, keep seeking, aim, strive for, search for. Make it your quest, make it your goal, make it your desire, make it your demand, make it your requirement to know Christ and life in Him. Get after pursuing Christ. Pursue intimacy with Christ is the highest priority of your life. And then he goes on to say, not on what is on earth. Look at verse 2. What what does he mean by that? He He doesn't mean we don't pay any attention to earth. He says we don't make a here and now only choice about life. We don't live as if this is all there is. Don't do that. Don't pursue only the things that are on earth. Well, what are those things? Well, in the little book of 1 John, it describes them in three categories. Ready? The lust of the flesh, which basically means uh, uh, appearance and pleasure. The lust of the eyes, which means money and material possessions. I want this, wanting everything you see. And the boastful pride of life, which means position and power. Don't pursue appearance and pleasure. Don't pursue possessions. Don't pursue, pursue position and power as the highest priority of your life. Now, why does God say that? Well, there are two reasons. There are two reasons, very practical reasons. First one is you can't have them. They're unattainable. I mean, most of us have an, well, we'll have an average amount of position and prestige and power at best in life. Most of us will not have any of that no matter how hard we pursue it. Uh, Most of us have an average IQ. Most of us um, will earn an average amount of money across our lifetime at at best. And most of us have an average appearance. I mean, look around. I mean, you've you've heard me say before this thing, but uh, the researchers still say that one out of every three Americans are ugly. I mean, you know, so look at the person on your right and left right quick. (laughs) And if they're not ugly, guess what? (laughs) I mean, you you know, you can't... why, why he said, don't, don't seek things that are on the earth. I mean, don't, get after, don't, don't be consumed with these things. You can't have them. And then he says, if you do attain them, they are temporary. They are temporary. Uh, you know, the old saying, what goes 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Miss America growing old. <laughs> you now, that's a crass way of the way Solomon said it more poetically in uh, Proverbs. He said, beauty is fading. Yeah, it fades. Let's talk about our possessions. Is there anybody in our culture right now that has security in your investments? No. Here today, gone tomorrow, right? Right? And uh, he said, so what, don't live as if this is all there is. 
If you live as if this is all there is, this is all there is doesn't go so well. Live as if this is not all there is, that he, with an eternal spiritual perspective, and down here becomes much better. And you become much better for down here. So let's make the choice. Here's some, pra- here's some practical ways. Last uh, fall, again, we spent six weeks in our 40 Days in the Word campaign learning as a church all over again how to spend some daily time alone with Jesus in His Word. The most powerful habit you can practice to help you consistently set your hearts and your minds on Christ and the things above, on spiritual things, is to spend time alone with Him daily in His Word. So do that. Some of us need to begin that. We're going to move into a time of prayer, and I want to ask you to pray with me. So just turn the the place where you're seated into your own personal place of prayer. For those of you who are not yet Christians, let me beg you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you have no, no option. You are currently setting your hearts and minds on things on earth. And it's a bad decision. It's a bad choice. I, I plead with you to turn and place your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Take this time of prayer and do that. But let me speak to those of you who are believers. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we are admonished to submit ourselves to God as living sacrifices, to no longer let the world press us into its mold, to be no longer conformed to this world. That's what the scriptures say. It's describing as Christians forgetting things above and and being drawn into the, just the things that are here on earth. It's easy to find ourselves there. Well, what do we do? Well, we repent. We confess that as sin to God. So let's take a moment and confess our sins to God. Pray like the psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 22 and 23, who said, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any sinful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. And then acknowledge those sins. Ask for his forgiveness. And then in faith, thank him for his cleansing and his forgiveness. Say, Lord, I have been pursuing a here-on-earth-only lifestyle and perspective. I repent. Help me by your grace to set my mind and my heart on you, Lord Jesus, and the things above where you are seated at the right hand of God. You take a moment. Pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.